I want to read this, uh, just one verse of scripture to you out of Daniel chapter 3, but I'm going to ask that when you go there in your Bible or in your phone, it would be really helpful if you have one today because we're looking at the entire third chapter of Daniel. But I am going to read one verse of scripture to you and um, we will go from this verse and talk about this. I want to read to you Daniel chapter 3 verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. For quite a few years now, I guess it's been four or five at least years now, uh, the company Staples has uh, been... Uh, showing television commercials featuring the easy button. I don't know if you've seen any of them. Here's one quick example of it. We're out of ink. It's Dell Inc. Postpone the meeting. Forget lunch. We don't need to eat. I, I, back off, people. I need room to think. Help, people! We're going down! Now you can get any Dell Inc. at Staples. Cold red. Cold red. That was easy. If we did have one, um, I would tell you that if there were a real easy button, a button that when things were getting hard and when things were getting hectic in our life, that we, if we had a real easy button, if Staples actually invented such a button, I would, su- I would suggest that they'd be the richest company in the world. And whatever the cost for an easy button would be, I think most of us would try to get us one. Wouldn't it be great if we all had an easy button that we could push when life was getting challenging, when life was getting difficult? I want you to picture if you are a parent of a teenager and you're having an argument with your teenager and suddenly you reach over to the easy button and she or he are angels. They're just so happy. And mom, I love you so much. That'd be a great button to have. And I think a lot of us would buy at. Or if we were having a a discussion, we'll call it, with our significant other, our spouse and And it wasn't going very smoothly just to be able to hit that easy button and have the wife who was just a minute ago frowning and maybe even raising her voice to turn and smile at you and say, I just love you so much. And that make life easy. I would want that button. And I would tell you that Staples would be the richest company in the world if they had an easy button. If we could actually purchase something like that, if life could be like that and we could purchase an easy button. But we all know that that is far from reality. The only thing an easy button does is annoy you. That was easy. That's all it does. And I would love to have an easy button in my life just like you. But reality is that it isn't there I'll have to say to you, it's one of the things that troubles me sometimes with some of the preachers that I've heard over my life. Because some paint a picture that once a person surrenders their life to Jesus Christ and puts their total faith in Jesus, it's almost like hitting the easy button. Why? Life becomes rosy. And God is there to smooth out all of my rough spots for me. And I've heard preaching like this. And God will just bless me and give me so much. And it's almost like that. If my faith is big enough, God's just going to make my life favored. I'm going to have stuff that nobody else has because I'm God's favorite child. 
And that's kind of the, the preaching that I've heard. But I will say to you where I will be quickly, quick to tell you that the Bible is full of wonderful promises to anyone who receives Christ and becomes Christ of blessings. God does bless people who follow him. But I can, I can tell you what he promises is, is peace, not comfort. I can tell you that. I can tell you that the promises are there and I'm grateful for them. But there's nothing in Scripture that says to us, I will make your life easy for you. In fact, Jesus warned his followers of pressure, satanic attacks, temptation. I wish temptation would go take a hike. I want an easy button during temptation. Like when I'm driving down the road and somebody's not getting out of my way. I have temptations that come in. But, I, but, but Jesus promised we'd have it. He even said that there'd be persecution for Christians and criticism. And he outright told us all and that, that in this world we will have troubles. Troubles. We're going to have trials. We're going to have troubles. That's what he says. And the fact is, there is no easy button in life. Honestly, there's not one for anyone, regardless of whether they are a follower of Christ or not. Often, every person, for every person, life can get hard sometimes. And I know I've got some of you doing this already, because your life this week hasn't been a bowl of roses. And it's the way it is. There is no easy button. And this series we've been in hasn't been about easy. We've been thinking about living life as the me that I want to be. And I want to recommend to you this book uh, by the same title written by John Ortberg. It is an excellent and easy read. And I've gleaned a small portion of what I have talked to you throughout this series from the book. But there are many, many more helpful truths that I have not had time to develop or or speak to you about. I would recommend that book. You would enjoy it. It, It's very helpful to you. There are a lot of helpful truths there that I can't don't have the time to develop. Our verse for the series has been Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And every week we looked at this, and I love this verse. It says something about you. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I just remind you that one thing this verse definitely says to you is that you weren't haphazardly thrown together by some random act of nature. God created you. You're the handiwork of God. And you were made in the image of God. And God had a purpose for you when he was creating you. And he is good with what he created. He loved you from before you were conceived. And he had a vision for who you are right now. He had a vision when he was in your mother's womb, knitting you together. And your personality, God made that. And your capacities, God gave you those. And your undiscovered talents, God gives you them. And God has a purpose in what he has done. And he has prepared ahead of time for you the good works that you can do. And it is by living in those, by doing the good works of loving God, that you can be the me that you want to be. We've talked about about how miserable it is to be the me we don't want to be. And we took a little while to look at poor Paul when he was just 
being very, very open and transparent and saying the good I want to do, I don't do, and the, the bad that I don't want to do, that's what I do. And some of us said, man, am I ever living in that land? The me I don't want to be. And we talked about how the best version of ourselves is the person that Almighty God intends for us to be. There is a best version of ourselves that God had in mind when he created us. And with all of our weaknesses and strengths, he made us this way because when we are the best at who we can be, then God can do amazing things. He's got good works for us. We've also learned that in our own strength, we're never going to be the me I want to be in our own ability. And you'll remember one analogy I, I made about someone trying to force themselves to be the me that they, God intended them to be would be a little bit like rowing a rowboat, towing a 200-pound man behind you to water ski, going fast enough to help him water ski for a mile. It's, we can't do it on our own. And we recognize that there's grace to be because the Holy Spirit is given to us so that he can enable us to cross that gap between the me I want to be and the me that I currently am. Just as there's grace for someone to come to Christ and to be born again, there is grace by God to empower us to walk with him. And I have said to you that we cannot reach this relation or reach the, the place where we're the me we want to be without a deep devotion to a relationship between ourselves and almighty God. It is through his power and his love that we get there. It's imperative that we let go of being in charge of our lives and take hold of what Christ has already given to us. And so we talked about that. And that's how we become the best version. There are no shortcuts and there are no easy buttons in this life for this. The work of being the me I want to be is done day by day, hour by hour, walking closely with the Lord. And let me say it again. This series hasn't been about making your life easy. This series has been about becoming the man or woman that God desires for you to be. And as I close this series today, I feel led to present a challenge to our congregation, to you personally. And frankly, I've become convinced that it's only by answering the call that I'm going to issue to you today that you'll be able to experience being the best version of yourself, the me I want to be. And here is the call. I call you to dare to be. Dare to be. I'm challenging you to have the courage to be the me that God has created you to be. It's not easy. In fact, it's difficult. But in spite of the fact that it gets hard, I challenge you. Dare to be. There are many remarkable examples in the scriptures of what I am talking about. I'm talking about the fact that the Bible is, is replete with stories of people who made the choice to dare to be. And they have remarkable results as a, as, as a result of their choice. I could talk to you today about Abraham or Moses or Joshua or Caleb. Certainly Daniel and Jeremiah were two men who would dare to be. I could point you to King David, who in the face of insurmountable odds and taunts of an entire kingdom, dared to be. And, of course, I could talk to you about the prophet Elijah, who, who stood up to a whole bunch of prophets of Baal and showed that the real God 
is the God that he loved and served. There, of course, is Esther and Ruth. And what about Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Joseph, his earthly father? These were amazing people. And my point is this. The Bible has many stories of people who had the courage to love God and obey God. Even when it was very hard and very scary, they allowed God to drive. They let go of control and they were on one trajectory. Listen, they were headed in one direction in their life and God stopped them and turned them around and said, I want to do this with your life. And they had the courage to dare to be who God wanted them to do or be and do what God wanted them to do. And so today I feel led to challenge you. To do it. I'm talking about people who love the Lord with reckless abandon. And I'm talking about people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three young men who dared to be. And it wasn't easy. There was no easy button for them. It started when they were very young. And their land was um, subjugated and captured. Israel was invaded by the Babylonians, a kingdom far away. And most of the people of Israel died and they watched it. I think they watched some of their own loved ones killed by these captors. And they were taken to the land of Babylonia because they showed promise. Because there were characteristics and qualities of these young men that caused them to stand out enough where the king said, "If I'll turn them and I'll train them in the ways of the Babylonians and they will become useful to me. And so that's why they were alive on the days that we're going to look at in a, a particular incident in their life. It hadn't been easy for them. They had to learn a new language and a new culture and new sciences and new ways. And they would always be captives in this home. There's, there was a frightening incident in their lives that put their love for the Lord and their resolve to the test. And the incredible story is found here in Daniel chapter 3. The chapter begins by telling us that the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar ordered that a golden image, a statue, would and most likely fashioned to look just like him, had his face and his likeness, be crafted and then set up in a plain in a providence of his land. This is no ordinary statue. It was 90 feet tall. That's several stories high. It was nine feet wide, and it was a golden statue. Nebuchadnezzar, after it had been placed, uh, built and placed, ordered that there be a dedication of the statue where all of his officials were to be present. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, at this point in their lives, were part of his officials, part of those who served the king and served at the behest of the king. And on the day of dedication, the king had all of his officials standing before this idol, this this statue. And um, verse four tells us what happened. I want you in your mind's eye to picture this large statue and the king being present close to it. And all of these officials of the kingdom standing in front of it, looking at that, looking at the king. And then verse four happens and I'll read it to you. Then the herald loudly proclaimed. A herald was somebody whose job it was to make kingdom announcements. 
He proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship immediately will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, I could take this sermon in a lot of directions after looking at this decree. For instance, I could comment on the king's arrogance, but for the sake of brevity, I'm going to try to stay on point of this particular message. The three men were faced with a serious challenge. They were serving the king. They were doing everything they were supposed to do, and suddenly they were faced with this challenge. You, when you hear the music, you either bow to this idol, or you, or, and, and uh, I'm sorry, you either bow or you will burn in a blazing furnace. That's about as intense as it can get for us. Had they bowed, I don't think their names would appear in the book of Daniel. I don't think we'd be reading about them. But they did not bow. Instead, they dared to be. And time doesn't permit me to develop the entire story of these three men, but suffice it to say, this isn't the first time when they were forced to dare to be. This, in this incident, when everybody else bowed and worshipped the idol, they would not, and they did not. And verses 8 through 15 tells us what happened next. They were immediately ratted out by the other officials as the ones who were bowing looked over apparently and noticed that Daniel, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not bowed, that they stood there. And so immediately they go to the king and they, they tell on him. I don't like tattletales, I'm just saying. But anyway, when they go to Nebuchadnezzar, he wasn't happy with them at all. And he took their unwillingness to worship the statue as a personal offense. And the pride that fueled his arrogance made him furious at these men. And he threw down the gauntlet at them. He had them stand in front of him and forcefully made sure they understood. I'm going to give you one chance to live, men. And here it is. The music's going to play again. And if you bow, good. If you worship, good. You will live. But if you don't, I'm telling you right now, I will have you put in that hot burning furnace over there. And I love the, 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 the response of these men to the king. This king even had the audacity to say this statement to them when he made this threat to them. He said, I'm going to have you are going to die. You're going to be thrown into the service. And he actually asked him, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I'm so glad he said that. I'm glad that's in there. Because Nebuchadnezzar would soon find out. But coming back to this message. And my challenge you to uh, that you would dare to be. I will say this to you. Dare to be. And you will conflict with most of the world. Dare to be the one that God has created you to be. That he, he has designed you to be. Follow him. Love him. And you're going to be in conflict with most of the world. Please understand that. And please I beg you be good with it. I guess I need to tell you. That if you're too uncomfortable. With the majority of people in the world. Not agreeing with you. If you wilt under that. You're not going to be able to be the me. That God has created you to be. 
Because the Bible tells us clearly that most people in the world are not the best version of themselves. And many are absolutely deceived. Many are right where the Apostle Paul has described them to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. We saw this in Sunday school this morning. He revealed the fact that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ. And this tells us that there are times, if you dare to be, when Christ's followers' beliefs conflict with that of most of the world. And I'm just saying to you that if you're going to dare to be the man or the woman God would have you to be, you need to understand that that's going to happen. You're going to have a time when there's where where you're going to conflict with the beliefs of others. I'm sure that most of the people there, if not all of them who were there with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and observed what they did. I'm sure that most of them thought that they were stupid. Why don't you bow? That's just dumb. Why are you doing this? Why would you have just bow down? Why wouldn't you do what the king has told you to do? And maybe some of them who were there present that day thought that these three were way out of touch with the mainstream thought of the day and the philosophy of the day. And maybe they thought it was ridiculous that they were hanging on to some ancient principles and ancient scriptures that did not apply to the times. Maybe some were not all that much different than many people who live in Hollywood today and malign Christians because we're out of touch and our beliefs don't line up with the rest of the world. It's 2017 after all. And one of the reasons I'm telling you that I'm issuing a call and a challenge is I fully know that if you dare to be, you will live in conflict with so many uh, philosophies of our society. And my prayer is that at least some of us will be good with that. We won't be afraid to dare to be in conflict. You won't need to look for it. It's going to find you. And I admit that in my lifetime, as I have lived my life here on this earth in the United States of America, I have felt more and more disconnected with the mainstream society that I am living in. And I have to tell you that I'm okay with being seen by that society as out of touch and the other names that they want to call me intolerant, a bigot, ignorant. There are wonderful compliments that they pay to us. And that's their view. I'm okay with being seen of of being out of touch with our society because of my beliefs that are biblical. The thing is, it does not give me the excuse to then alienate myself and say I'm holier than them and I'm better than them. It doesn't give me an excuse to look down my nose at people who are trapped in their sin. What it ought to do is break my heart. What it ought to do is is steer my mind to understand that they are blinded by the deceiver, the God little G of this world. And what it should do is is, um, spur me on to show more love and more of God's grace and power. To the community I live in. I don't want to hole up like some monk in a monastery. I don't want to hide out until the rapture happens. And the Lord takes me home. I don't want a mentality that says well I'm good and I'm safe. Too bad for you. 
That's not who I want to be. And it doesn't give me an excuse because my, I'm in conflict with my society. It doesn't give me an excuse to hide my, my faith in Christ. No, these three men's faith were put right on display. And they conflicted with all of even what the king believed. And that was God's design. As I'm preaching this, please bear in mind that what I'm describing here are some of the good works that God had prepared in advance for these three men to participate in and to do. So I say with you, say to you, dare to be, and you'll conflict with most of this world. Conflict is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found themselves, and the king threw down the gauntlet at them. Secondly, I'll tell you, dare to be, and you'll have the opportunity to reveal the Lord to other people. In verse 16, and I love this verse, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. This king had just screamed in anger at them. He's furious at them. Here's what they say. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Whoa. Let's stop and look at that for just a second. These three captives are standing there looking at the most powerful ruler of the world at that time. And this is what they said. And I can't let this go by without comment. You dare to be. And you won't have to have any reason to apologize for your life. Here's what they were saying to King Nebuchadnezzar. No matter what you do to us, our God is about to rescue us from your hand. The worst that can happen, King, is you're going to cook us and we're going to die. But God will deliver us from your hand. We won't stand before you and give an account for our lives for eternity. We'll stand before the King of Kings, your Lord, your Master, and we will give an account to him. And I love that they said we don't have to defend ourselves. To you, you don't have the authority over this part of our lives. Wow. Can I just tell you that if you are a believer, you don't owe anybody an apology for believing what you believe. If the scriptures have directed it and you have biblical thinking, you don't need to apologize to anyone for not lining up with the rest of society. I am not ashamed of the beliefs of scriptures. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed to, and I will not apologize for loving Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to say, oh, I know this is offensive to you. I don't have to worry about it being offensive. I don't go out there and, and stand around acting arrogant like I'm some holy roller or anything like that. But I don't have to be afraid or ashamed of anybody's thoughts about me because I love the Lord. And this society hates. Well, I should be careful about that. This society is in conflict with Christians. But that being said, we don't owe them anything. We don't owe them an apology for loving the Lord. And I love that this is exactly what they were saying. They didn't need to defend. Enough said. I'm going back to men's reply to Nebuchadnezzar. Because they said, if we are thrown into the burning furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from that. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. I love this because of what he said. Then what God will be able to deliver you from my hand? They made it clear. Our God will. He'll deliver us from our, his, your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set out. I love that. 
Those guys are awesome. And what's happening there is they are the best version of themselves right there. They dare to be. And their passion and love for Christ, for the God that they loved, was greater than the love that they had for themselves. And they were saying, this is worth dying for. He is worth dying for. And here's our challenge, and this is why I issue this as a challenge. If push came to shove, is he worth dying for for you? You know, I, I've said, and I do, I mean this with everything, and I believe it's true. I don't think that if somebody came into my home intending to do harm to my family, that there would be a moment's hesitation for me to step in between harm and my family and I take a bullet and die I would I'm I'm pretty certain that I love my family enough that I wouldn't even hesitate I would just die for them I want to believe that I would do the same for Christ these men were willing to die so what a reply to the king's edict what a powerful opportunity that God gave to them to reveal something of his power and his faithfulness to their captives. Now understand, had they not said this, had they bowed, then God would not have given, had this opportunity to reveal his mighty power in this way. And the thing is, had they died that day, saying what they said, they still would have been given the opportunity to reveal their God to others, their faith. Would have spoken so loudly. It wasn't easy for them. And it wasn't without fear. But they loved the Lord enough to die for him. That is their best version. Of who God made them to be. And again it wasn't their first time. Being on the spot. Dare to be. And God is going to give you amazing opportunity. To reveal him to others. And dare to be. And you will be able to demonstrate. The attributes of God. To other people. So at the response of these young men. Did the king back down and say. Oh okay. I'm going to reconsider. I, that, that would be a big no. He was furious. And he ordered. This is amazing to me. I don't. I, please forgive me for seeing humor in this. I know this is morose. But this is just so ridiculous. That I had to laugh. The king is so mad. That he loses his ability to really rationalize. So what's he do? He says. I want you to make that furnace seven times hotter for them. It was hot enough to burn him up, but he wanted it hotter. And I didn't even know, how, how do you make a burning furnace seven times hotter? I don't know. They stoked it up, and they did what they did. And by the time that the men, and he had them tightly bound, and he kept their clothes on them, and by the time that, that the men came to throw them into the furnace, by the time that they got there, the furnace was so hot that they were overcome and destroyed as they were trying to fulfill the king's commands. And the men threw them in, and they were, con- they were consumed. And when the men tumbled into that furnace, I'm sure that Nebuchadnezzar was waiting to hear screams of pain. He wanted to see the intense smoke and the cremation, if you will, what it was going on. Instead, to his shock and his amazement, he stands up and he sees that they're walking around. They're just walking around in the flames. There's no hollering. There's no running. There's no trying to put the fire out. They're just hanging out. And then he looks again, and, and this is his description. He sees a fourth who looks like the son of the gods. That's his description. And he sees this other in the flames with him. 
Can I just pause for a second, put this on pause, and remind you, as unbelievable as this sounds, this is an actual historic event. It happened this way. And so the king is overwhelmed by what he sees. And I don't know how long a time elapsed, but eventually, after he gets over his shock, the king calls to the men and he says, hey, come on out of there. And they comply. And let me show you uh, from the last part of verse 26 what's going on. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors of royal advisors crowded around them. And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads since. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of the fire on them. Because they dared to be, because they defied the king's ridiculous decree, because they were willing to die for their Lord, they were used by God to demonstrate some of the most amazing attributes of their God to these others. These men, these examiners came all around them and they saw uh, irrefutable evidence of God's great power. Who else could have protected them in a furnace of fire like that but a God, but the God? Of the universe. And they saw irrefutable evidence of God's presence in a time of crisis. And God's love. You see, God showed up. They saw irrefutable evidence of God's faithfulness to his servants and his love for them. What a statement. Church, these are the good works that God had prepared for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to do. Just as we're told about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I highly doubt that your good works are going to involve walking into a very hot furnace. I doubt that's going to happen to you. But what are the good works that God would have you to, to do? And will it take courage? I will say that you can't do these works unless you dare to be. Who God would have you to be. And I pray that in this series where we talked about this. That it's more than just a little bit helpful. I pray that it is a challenge to us to understand. God has something glorious for us. If we will dare to listen and obey him. Dare to be. And through your life. Listen to me. Through your life. Others will experience the living God. I guarantee on the authority of God's word, that if you will dare to be who God would have you to be, others will experience the presence of Almighty God in your life. And God will work in you. And you may be sitting there saying, not this one. I don't have enough talents, or I don't have this, or my life's too, too this. And, and I'm saying, if you dare to be who God would have you to be, you will see God glorified in your life. There's one more passage of scripture as I close this series today and close this message in just a moment or two that I'd like to share with you. And I'd ask you to look at it very carefully because it has not happened yet. But it is a prophecy about what's going to happen fairly soon, I think. It's found in Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 through 11. And just let me set a very brief table. This takes place in the kingdom of heaven. And the saints are gathered there before the throne of God. Verse 10, that I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God 
and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Hallelujah. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And catch this one. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Most of us like the first two little phrases in that we triumph over the devil. That's good. By the blood of the lamb. That's awesome. By the word of our testimony, I'm there. Ooh, don't shrink back from death. Will anyone, will anyone dare to be? Please watch this video. much instability so much that we don't understand that, that we don't know for me growing up it was uh, a lot of you guys know my mom died giving birth to me and my dad remarried then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine then my dad got married again then my dad died of cancer when I was 12 and so I'm in junior high my mom's dead my stepmom's dead my dad's dead the only close relatives I had were my my aunt uncle George and Sandra and then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my Uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky, and things get a little unstable, and so we go, okay. That was nuts. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here and uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to... Um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2%. Um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery, because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life, and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what, I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it, and then just go up to heaven. And so th you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven, and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge, and you go, Now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know, and some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes, what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. 
I, I, that, that's the routine that they're going to live. And then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, Wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. And I challenge you not to want to go where the majority goes. God has something so much better than safe. I challenge you to dare to be. I challenge you to think very seriously about the direction of your life and what God created you to be. And you to dare to be who it is that God wants you to be. I don't know, even know how to close this series, um, honestly. I, I feel like there are so many things that I want to do for you and with you. But uh, one thing is for sure, nobody can make this decision for you. Nobody can put you in a position where you're going to shine for the Lord. There's one person who has the say in this, and it's you. You have to decide whether or not you were serious last week, some of you, when you said, look, I'm letting go. And I'm going to let God put me in the position he wants to put me in so that I can shine and I can be the best version of me. I think some of us here have kind of had it with being less than what we can be. Because it is miserable being the me I don't want to be. And I think some of us here, and I'm praying, some of us are here saying, you know what, Lord? Reckless abandon. Whatever I think about whatever else is going on around me, this is what I know. You're my creator. And if you can find value out of this, and there's something you want to do, if it costs me my life, then I want to give it. I trust you. And I want to be the me that you want me to be. Ultimately, the me I want to be isn't safe. It's just the me that God wants. And I'll close with this thought. I want you for a moment to imagine that moment when you are done here on earth. And the next face you see is your creator, your judge. We will appear before him and we will give an account to the same God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego loved enough to risk their lives for. And in the face of the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived... I just want, when God looks at my life, to be able to say, well done. You did the works I had for you. I didn't call you to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I called you to be the best Kandusa that you had the capacity to be. It is my heart of hearts to be willing to let God do whatever he wants with whatever's left of my life. And I thought that the way that I... Uh, we'd close this time is just with a prayer of dedication to the Lord. 
just a statement. God, I'm here, and I relinquish control of my life, and with your help, I want to live day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, being the best me that I can be, which translates into being the me you want me to be. You helping me and you giving me power, that's what I want and intend to do.